Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. Why don't you get your Bibles out today and open them to 1 Kings chapter 17. And we're going to, you might want to just leave your Bible open or just keep it in that area of 1 Kings for the most part because we're going to take some time, kind of as we did last week, to go through this text a little bit at a time. If, um, if you follow me on social media, and which I'd be happy for you to do so, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, look me up and friend me if you want. If you don't like that kind of stuff, I don't blame you. Sometimes I think, uh, I just get tired of it, I understand all that. But what I really love about it for the body of Christ is the opportunity to stay involved in each other's lives and to know what's going on. And I, I rejoice with you over the victories in your life, and I pray with you as I see things that you're going through. So I, I love being connected that way, and I'm happy to do that, especially with my church family. I won't lie to you, there's people I have unfollowed uh, that are outside the sphere of our church that are, you know, people that post stuff that I really don't want to read. So you just have to use discretion and stuff like that. But I promise you, uh, I don't unfollow any of you. You're awesome. Did I say that? Yes. Okay. But anyway, if you do follow me on social media, you might have seen this picture that I posted a couple weeks ago or about a week and a half ago of some quail that got in my front yard. Okay. Oh, we just still have the logo, so why don't you, you're getting closer, nope, nope, you got it, you got it, not that video, just go back to the sermon, ah, thank you, all right, so this happened uh, about a week and a half ago or less, I was uh, looking out my front, you know, uh, window uh, of my house toward the, toward the north, and I looked out, and there's my lawn, which is nicely mowed, did you notice all the angles, isn't that pretty, that's very well done, this, I'm sorry about the wasteland over here. I got some ideas for that, but I haven't done them yet. But anyway, that aside, uh, I looked out there. I've never seen such a large group of quail in my life. I mean, really, I've never seen so many. There were, and I ended up counting them. There were 49 total quail in that, in that area. And there was, there was a couple that are off the, off the picture, but I wanted to zoom in and show most of them. But anyway, that, so you, some of you are counting right now. Is it really 49? Yeah, don't do that. Because I'm telling you, there's some that aren't in the picture. But there were 49 quail in the picture I took. And so um, I kind of, um, it kind of unnerved me a little bit to see that many quail at once. It's like, oh, this was on a Saturday. I remember now it was a Saturday. And so I, I was, uh, I looked out there and I thought it was a little bit freaky. I, when I was a kid, you know, the first scary movie I ever watched was The Birds by Alfred Hitchcock. And <laughs> it's sort of like, that just sticks in your head as a young man, you know, like, are they going to come? Is it going to be an attack of the birds? So, uh, but quail are so stupid looking, I don't think I'd be scared by them. Anyway, don't you think they're stupid with that little dangly thing? Okay. So, see, I knew somebody's going to feel sorry for quail. All right, fine. Okay, so, but it was a little bit freaky, and then uh, I posted it, and a friend of mine from Colorado posted back, and he said, he said, uh, you know, uh, be careful not to collect too many or something like that. And I said, oh, yeah, it is the Sabbath. You're not supposed to collect quail. Because I was referring to this story in the Old Testament that was, um, you know, where the Israelites said, hey, we want to eat meat to eat, and so God heard their cry, and then amazingly, this is, you know, when you read the story, I think sometimes we just read through it and we don't think it through. It says that God sent so many quail in with an east wind that all these quails showed up, and they were, listen to this, two cubits high, which is three feet high, right, in the camp, listen, a day's walk in any direction from the middle of the camp, which, which even if you were conservative, would be a 20-mile diameter, right, of three foot deep of quail. 
It says that the people gathered, and the estimates range on exactly how much it was, but it says no one gathered, and I'm hoping this means no family gathered less than 10 homers or omers, and and an omer is how much a donkey could carry, right? So they think that equals, uh, they did it in bushels, dry weight, but then they said probably in pounds, we're looking at 3,500 pounds per family of quail. You say, well, what would, what, that's ridiculous. What they would do is they would salt them and bury them and use, eat them kind of like quail jerky because they didn't have refrigeration and stuff. But obviously, if you keep reading the story, it was such an overabundance, and God was kind of teaching them a lesson about grumbling that uh, a lot of them got really sick, I think, and probably from not processing the quail properly. I don't know. But it's, anyway, a plague came among them. It was a bad deal, and God kind of said, all right, let's... let's. But here's, here's what I want us to get out of that story is that God provided so much abundance. Yeah? So much abundance. And it was so amazing. And it's absurd, it's absurd in, not God isn't absurd, but it's absurd in how much he provided and how overabundant it was. Aren't you glad for God's ability to provide for us? And that's what I want to talk about today is this idea that really it's a miracle how God does it. He provides. You know, uh, it was uh, probably about two months ago we were driving over to Seattle, and our oldest grandson, August, he's eight years old. He was in the car, uh, speaking of quail. And uh, we're driving along near Cleelum, and there was a quail in the road. It looked like I was almost going to run it over. I was starting to, you know, slow down a little bit, because I really do care about God's creatures, even though I mock them. But anyway, uh, so this quail, be, and it was starting on this side of the road, and it got to the middle, and, and I thought I was going to hit it, you know. But all of a sudden, it flew off, and, and my grandson from the back seat had seen this, and he said, he calls me Papa. He said, Papa, why did the quail cross the road? I just couldn't help myself at that moment. I'm telling you. You know how I answered. I just said, what? To get to the other side. And, and he got a good laugh out of that. And so anyway, that's kind of my end of my quail story. But I wanted to start with that, with the idea of God's abundance and how, how much he he produces when we, when we ask him and we're expecting from him. Now, I've been showing some videos uh, that as I'm able to find some about miracles that have happened. And this particular miracle is not a miracle of provision per se, but I want you to watch it anyway. It's only about a minute and a half long. This is from that same pastor, Pastor Nick Goff from uh, Great Falls, Montana, and uh, sees a tremendous amount of miracles in his life. So we're going to look right quick at this video. Amen. Come on. Let's thank the Lord. God is a God of miracles, and this man, uh, as you can tell, had MS, and God is restoring him. And you say, well, how does that uh, tie into your subject? Well, listen, do you understand when you have debilitating things like that happen in your life and you're disabled in some way or another, that you cannot even provide for your family oftentimes in situations. You're not able to be as productive as you once were. So we're talking about a God who, who makes, not only will provide for us monetarily, but he'll provide for us in ways of healing so that we might be able to be productive. And isn't that just a blessing from God? Aren't you glad for that? So just be encouraged today as you think about that. But, um, but so let's go now to... Uh, 1 Kings 17 and verse uh, 1. We're looking at this great story from the Old Testament. It's the first time a prophet named Elijah shows up. So we're just going to start with the uh, first verse here. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. 
And so, just let me pause here for a moment. Elijah shows up abruptly in the text of 1 Kings in the beginning of chapter 17. He's not even really introduced as a prophet. It's just this guy, as far as we know, shows up, begins to talk to the king, King Ahab, who we know is a wicked king. And, uh, but his name, listen to this. So a lot of times we don't catch these things because we don't understand what the meanings of these names were. But uh, Elijah's name means Yahweh, uh, or God. Uh, my God is Yahweh. My God is Yahweh. So El, the L part is God from Elohim, and then Jah is Jehovah or Yahweh. Those two are being uh, truncated, put together. My God is Yahweh. My God is Jehovah. That's how we get Elijah. Got it? So, so Elijah comes in, and I don't know if he was introduced to King Ahab, but, but, but he, they know who he is, so it's my God is Yahweh. Well, guess what? King Ahab isn't following Yahweh right? So right off the bat, I think we're at a place of a, of a little bit of tension in the room. And, and then he comes in and he says to him, listen, uh, Ahab, here's the deal. Uh, my name is, my God is Yahweh. And the God I serve says that it's not going to rain or you're not even going to have dew until I say so. And then I got to go see you. And he gets out of there, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Probably because he knew if he stuck around too long uh, that things weren't going to go good. And in fact, uh, Ahab's wife, Jezebel, who was just a wicked woman, uh, we find out later on, she began to really persecute the prophets and kind of wonder if maybe she was going really to try to get at Elijah and, uh, and just trying to kill all the prophets she could. She killed hundreds and hundreds of God's prophets during this time. And so... So he goes out, and uh, immediately after this episode, he goes out, and uh, uh, there's another time, and, it, and, and he, gets this, he gets a word from God as soon as he goes out. We'll read this in just a moment here, but he gets this word from God to go out near a brook. He goes out to a stream there, and, uh, and he's just doing whatever God tells him to. First, God says, go tell Ahab this. Now he says, go out to this stream and uh, hang out there for a bit. And so we, we see in this first story uh, about Elijah's life, two powerful examples about God's ability to provide, and we're going to walk through those as we go through the rest of this message. But I want you to note that in both of these experiences, he starts with a word from God. And sometimes we need that word from God, and it's, you say, well, what is that? Well, sometimes you get it through reading the word of God, but sometimes he will speak to you and you'll get a word from God. But either way, be, it's important for us to be in communication with God through his word and through prayer so that we can hear from him. So that the provision may come. Amen? So uh, let's pick it up now in 17.2. Then the word of the... Uh, and my first point is this then. Trust God. Trust God. Okay? We're going to see how and what that means. So 17.2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kirith ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from a brook, and I have directed ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kirith Ravine, east of Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And sometime later, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Uh, let's just stop and pray for just a moment. Lord, just thank you for your word, and we just pray you'll speak to us and enlighten us and encourage us through your word today. But also, like I mentioned a moment ago, God, there's some who are here today that need an individual word from you, and I pray you'll begin to speak to each one as, as you will. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So again, God tells Elijah exactly where to go and exactly what to do. 
And the first thing we've got to learn to do if we're going to experience God's power in this area of provision in our lives is really trust God. And you'll, you'll, every, every time you'll find out if God's going to do something supernatural in the area of providing for us, we're going to have to really trust Him because sometimes we don't see it yet and we're waiting on something or we need something bigger than we could ever imagine. And, and if we're going to see it, we're going to have to trust the Lord. And so, uh, and sometimes, again, that, that trust can be based on a, a verse of Scripture. You know, uh, for instance, in Proverbs, it simply says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. So trust in Him is the idea. And we get, we get in all your ways. Well, even financially? Yeah, absolutely. Financially, trust Him. In all your ways, don't lean on your own understanding, or may I even say, don't lean on your own, what you think of as ability to produce wealth. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it says, you didn't, you didn't get that ability on your own, but God gives you the ability to produce wealth and confirms his covenant by doing that. So if you're producing wealth of any kind, even if it's not a lot of wealth, but believe me, in America, we're in the 1% ratio in the world of, of wealth, uh, of the wealthiest people in the planet. And so we ought to thank God every day, every single day. Thank you, God. We are, we are blessed beyond measure, and we're, and never, be, uh, never be like, oh, I'm miserable, I don't have enough money. No, no, no. We have so much, so much to be thankful to God for. We ought to look at it that way. So, so again, God sends him out. He's trusting God, and God gives him a word. He says, go out to this brook over here, and there's a ravine, there's a little brook, and uh, the rest of the land doesn't have any water, so there's a little source of water. So you go, and I imagine in Elijah's mind, he's thinking, man, oh man, uh, I'm, I'm glad that God called me away from the king because that probably wouldn't have gone well for me. So he gets over by this brook, and hey, here's a stream of water. That's great. So he's probably thinking, this is wonderful. This is fantastic. I've got God. I've got water. Water, but there's no food, no food at all. And uh, I remember back, uh, this was back in '99, and Rhonda and I were um, were we knew that the Lord was calling us out to pastor a church. We didn't know where yet, and we were starting to dream about the idea of maybe starting a church from scratch, which ultimately we did. And here you are, praise God. But uh, you know, we were just dreaming about it. And I went to my friend who had started a church from scratch. We, we call planting a church or. Uh, and so he, he started one in Renton, and I was just talking to him because I used to talk to him all the time. I said, hey, if you were going to go out right now and plant a new church, where would you go? Because I, I just was, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a direct word from the Lord at that point, and I just said, where would you go? And he said, I'd go to Eatonville, and I'd never heard of Eatonville before. How many have ever heard of Eatonville? Okay. So, uh, so I think, well, let's, let's go check out Eatonville. So one day I pack up, we were visiting uh, some friends over there on the west side, and so we got in the car, and, and we just took a little excursion, and we're driving. I'd never been to Eatonville. I didn't even really look it up. Uh, I just thought, well, let's go see. And I could see on a map it wasn't a very big town, but, but I get there, and I start driving through, and it's, it's very pretty. It's right at the base of Mount Rainier, and, and uh, just, it's just a cute little town, uh, very beautiful. In fact, last year, uh, near Christmas time, we got to go back to Edenville for the first time in many years and rode on that little train, uh, what is that called? The uh, Polar Express, thank you, uh, with the grandkids. They love that. It was weird for me, but, you know. But the kids loved it, and that's all I cared about. It was great. So if you've got grandkids or you've got kids, it's worth taking a trip to go do that. Anyway, so we, we drive in in 99 in the fall of that year into Eatonville, and we're driving around. And I just kind of threw it out because I wasn't telling the boys. They were, uh, you know, like 11 and 9 and uh, I think 
four or five at the time, four, and I just threw it out in the car, mostly for the older kids to hear. I said, I wonder what it would be like to live here in Eatonville as we're driving through, you know, uh, to live in a town like this. And as we're driving through, and basically we got through the whole town in about really literally like 45 to 60 seconds. It didn't take very long to drive through. And, by, and I'd asked the question kind of in the middle, and we were kind of all thinking about it. And then I, I'm almost positive it was Alex, who was here leading worship last week, spoke up. He says, they don't even have a McDonald's. <laughs> and so that was kind of the end of that uh, <laughs> right there. <laughs> we did not feel the call, and they didn't have a McDonald's. But so, uh, so, but, you know, I can kind of picture poor Elijah getting out to that brook. He's got water. He's safe. He's apart from the kings and the queen who are trying to probably kill him at this point. And, but, but they don't have McDonald's out there. What's he going to do? So this amazing thing begins to happen uh, where, where God sends ravens, these big, large black birds, and they begin to circle overhead. And I, I can imagine him looking at these birds overhead and thinking, there's no food around here, and... Uh, Hmm, you know, am I the only food, right? Is that what's gonna, is that why you brought me out here, God, to die so that I'd be food for the bird? I can kind of maybe picture that going through his head. Uh, and these black birds begin to circle overhead. And then all of a sudden, they begin to uh, sweep down. And, uh, and uh, he notice, notices in their talons, there is bread and there's meat. And they bring it down. And he has food. It's just an amazing thing. You know, uh, ravens and crows are very similar in appearance, so ravens are a bit bigger. But uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but uh, did you, does anybody here know what a group of crows is called? Like a, a murder of crows. Isn't that a funny name for, you know, and I, you know, I could picture, but, uh, but I actually, uh, you can actually only have a murder of crows if you have a probable cause. Sorry. I tried to tell 10 puns in a row once to get a laugh, and no pun intended. Sorry. Hey, I don't do those as often, so uh, I'll, I'll shut up now. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, I just thought that one was too much fun not to do at that point. But so, so okay, so here, here comes the, the crows, I mean the ravens coming down, and, and they're bringing... They're bringing uh, food and, uh, you know, it's a, maybe a Big Mac and fries. I don't know, you know, but he's bringing some food down there. And, uh, and, and so instead of being the meal, the birds brought the meal, which is incredible. And so you may remember that the raven is the very first bird that's actually mentioned in the Bible, and it was, a, it was the unclean bird that was sent out by Noah first. And, and, and this, I think this shows us a little bit of a lesson we can learn in this, is that even God can even use the things of this world and even the unclean things of this world to provide for his people. Are you, are you seeing that little thought in there? In fact, there's a scripture in the Old Testament that says uh, that God is uh, storing up the wealth of the wicked for the righteous. So, so that doesn't mean you go in your neighbor's house if he's not a believer and take his stuff, but God will make sure the stuff gravitates towards his people. That's what it's, it's talking about. Okay, so, uh, so this is all good every day, uh, at least twice a day. These birds are coming in and dropping, you know, steak and, and, and rolls and, you know, barbecue ribs. No, I guess they'd have to be beef ribs, beef ribs, and, uh, you know, different cornbread. And I don't know what kind of bread and meat. I don't know if it's the same thing every time. But every day he's getting uh, these portions of bread and meat. And, and we, we don't know how long he was there, but I guarantee you it was a very long time. 
And how do I know that? Because as we get into the story a little bit more in a second here, we realize that the famine has been so severe for such a long time that people are down to the last of their food. So he's out there for a long time at the Word of the Lord. You know, and I just want to encourage you, if you feel like, man, I've been in this spot with the Lord for a long time, but this is the last thing he told me to do, that's okay. Stick with what he told you to do. Don't move on from that. Just trust the Lord because, because the time will come when it's ready. And so what happened in Elijah's case is the brook dried up. And, and can I tell you, you could be completely obedient and doing everything God told you to do, and your brook can still dry up sometimes. And that's when, okay, God, I'm really desperate, but the last thing you told me is to stay here. I've got no water in the brook. You know, help, right? But, but you've got to stay there until he tells you to move on. And he finally does tell him to move on, and he tells him to, and this is where we're going to go into our second and last point here, because, because he is trying to be in the center of God's will, and he's doing a good job here. So let's go to our second point, which is this. First, we're, we're trusting God, and this may sound similar, but it's a little different. Put God first, starting with 1 Kings 17, 8. And it says, the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. I bet that was welcome words to Elijah at that point. And so he went to Zarephath and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, oh, and bring me please a piece of bread. And there's her response. As surely as the Lord our God lives, she replies, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar, a little bit of bread, and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son, that we, we may eat it and die. So we know the famine had been going on a long time at this point, because they'd run out of food. And so Elijah said to her, well, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said, but first... How counterintuitive is this? How counter would, you know, this, this has to blow your mind, yeah. right? Go ahead, make food, but do this. Bring me some first. Make something for me and, and then make something for yourself and your son. And then he gave her the word of the Lord, though. And I think this is what seals the deal. He says, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. And, and the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So here we see God doing another miraculous thing to bring food for Elijah. And so, so God's word to Elijah leads him to this moment of testing. Trust me. Trust me. He, you know, and, and God will do that to us too. He's always going to work on your faith. If you think it's always going to be easy going and smooth sailing and all that stuff, trust me, you're going to run into situations. Why else would mountains need to be moved if you never run into mountains in your path? Right? So we've got to understand, and, and a lot of times we're just expecting, oh, I've got, I got a mountain in my path, and, uh, and that means God's not with me. Of course that doesn't mean that, but he wants us to get active with our faith and say, okay, we're going to get that mountain out of the way, we're going to fill up a valley, we're going to make rough ways smooth, come on. We're going we're gonna to do what needs to be done to make God, what God wants to happen happen here as we work together with him. And so, so we have this amazing moment where, where he's trusting God because God's always working on faith with you and me. 
And, and this has to be a step up for, for Elijah from uh, being fed by ravens now to being fed by another human being. I mean, that's got to be good, right? And uh, th- that had to be so disconcerting every day to have ravens dr- bringing you food. So, so uh, I love, though, that Jesus confirms this, the, and he comments really on the strangeness of this command now, this idea of putting God first. He, he says in Luke 4.25, I assure you that there were many widows in, is- uh, in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years, there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And I think it's very interesting that not only is God meeting Elijah's needs at this point, but he cares about, and do you remember what she said as we read the text? He says, surely as my God, right, which is the same God as your God, uh, let me read it exactly here. He says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she's, she's connecting with the, the God of Elijah at that point, and she's saying, okay, the, as, as your God lives, she's believing in God herself, I believe, at that point. And so, um, so here we have Jesus confirming that there's this one widow. Of all the widows that are out there, there's one widow that, that Elijah is sent to because she needs something too. And she needs to learn how to put God first. So, so they go to Zarephath. And Zarephath means refining, refining. And God was putting his own servant through the furnace, but he's also putting this woman through the furnace of like, will you trust me? Will you trust me enough to put God's servant first? Will you trust me enough to put God first, really is what it boils down to, so that I can provide for you and your family? And what an amazing, amazing truth that is that we see carries over into our lives today. You know, if you hear us talking about tithing from time to time, it's not because we need your money. Honestly, it's God's business. This is God's church and it's not about paying the bills and those sorts of things. Yeah, I know those have to be done. And, and sometimes I look at that stuff and I go, oh my goodness. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just like I do with my household budget sometimes when something comes up. It's like, uh-oh, need new tires. Ooh, we don't have the budget. You know, so so from, a, from a pastor standpoint, I look at stuff like that. But I know from my heart that, that this is the Lord's church. He'll build his church. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. So when we talk about tithing, it is not... Uh, to raise money. We're not raising money for the church. What we're doing is giving every single person that comes to church an opportunity to open up the windows of blessing that, the God, that God provi- says he'll give. We're putting this back on God. We're saying, okay, and here you say, well, I can't afford to tithe. And I would contend you cannot afford not to tithe. You, you just can't afford that. If, if we're not choosing to put God first, how is that oil going to be replenished? How is that flour in the jar going to be replenished? Right? And those of us who have tithed regularly, and I, man, oh man, I would never miss tithing. I, in fact, one time many years ago, uh, we were, Ron and I were struggling financially, and I don't know why, but I said, I'm going to go back and look at our books. And, 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 and this isn't God punishing us, but it's, it's a sowing and reaping principle. And I went back and I found a month, somehow or another, we forgot to write our tithe check, and we had been living in months of just like scraping by and wondering, you know, God's not like, he's not beating us up because we didn't tithe. He doesn't, he doesn't need our money, right? He has the cattle on a thousand hill. He doesn't need it. What, what's the purpose of tithing? It's so we can put God first, right? It's, it's all about God blessing us. He doesn't need anything. And that's why I say the church doesn't need your money because this is God's church. He doesn't need that. The reason we pass an offering bucket is an opportunity for you to put God first in your life. So, so I know, and, I, and if I were to line up all the people that have continually trusted God this morning, which is a lot in this church, 
and, and you said, man, that's, that's, we've always tithed. And, and, and if I said to them, would you stop tithing? Would you ever stop tithing? I guarantee every single one that's done it consistently would say, there's no way. <laughs> I know for sure. I've lived in the blessings of God. The oil has not run dry. The flour has been replenished because I trust in God first. What is tithing? It's giving 10% off the top to God, right off the bat. I know that sounds absurd, but, and I've said this many times though, how is it that we dare trust God for our salvation, but we don't trust Him with our money? And furthermore, we don't trust Him with our time to give one day in seven to God, to rest? Come on. If you haven't pulled your feet back yet from me walking between the aisles and stepping on your toes, now might be a good time. But, uh, but I want you to hear my heart isn't to harangue you and harass you. It's for you to live in the blessings of God because I know how great this is. And so this is the idea of putting God first. And, and so, you know, because think about this woman. Imagine you're this woman and you have a choice whether to put God first or to feed your own son. And you think, oh... I'm not saying that's an easy choice at all, but man, do I admire this woman. Man, do I admire her. She didn't have the written word of God that you and I had. She just had this simple word from a prophet she didn't even know who said, if you do this, it's going to work out. And she believed the word. If you believe the word, it'll be done unto you. So this is amazing. Put God first. Give him what you have. He can feed thousands with just a few loaves and a few fishes if we just put it in his hands like the little boy did. Isn't that amazing? One time I was, uh, I was living in Los Angeles. I was going to Bible school. It was, it was uh, around the end of November, 1st of December. I, I, to be honest, I really missed my family back home, my mom, and I, I didn't see any way I was going to get to go back home for Christmas that year. It was the second year I was there. And so I'd already told her on the phone, yeah, I'm not going to be able to go home for Christmas. I, I'm really sad about that. And anyway, I, I, uh, I, had a, I was renting a little studio apartment, and so uh, everything's basically one room and a little kitchen and bathroom. But I'm sitting on my, the edge of my bed, and I'm praying about this. Um, and I've been faithful in the tithe. I've been given to God. And I'm kind of like, I wasn't complaining, but I was sort of like, God, here's the deal. I really want to go home. I need money to get home, and I need money to give presents to my immediate family, three people I really especially wanted to give money to. But I was, I was tapped out trying to go to school, trying to put you know, gas in the car and all the things you do when you're single and you're just barely making it on, on a minimum wage at the time. So, so I'm sitting on the edge of my bed praying, and I, I, don't, I can't tell you I felt directed, but I just looked, I opened my eyes and I looked up, and I looked a little bit to my left, and, I, uh, and my radio alarm clock sat there, and, uh, and I just looked, and I saw something under it. And I thought, well, that's, I don't, what's that? And I just got up, I walked across, I lifted up the alarm clock, and there's money under my radio alarm clock. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think God materialized money under my alarm clock out of thin air. That would be cool if he did. But I'm not really sure where the money came from. To be honest with you, I was so busy at that time and so distracted at times, I might have myself put it there months ago and forgot I'd put it there. Okay, so I don't, want, I don't want you to think I'm trying to say that God materialized money. But in my heart, he did because that could have stayed there a lot longer. There was $160 under this alarm clock. And again, I had people in my house before. Maybe somebody slipped it under there so I'd find out. I don't know how it got there. I honestly don't. But in that moment, it was God that gave it to me. And I know this sounds absurd, but in those days, you could fly from L.A. to Portland for a $99 round trip. Right? And then I had 60 bucks left over to buy some gifts for my family. So I 
so God answered that immediately as I was praying about it in that moment. Man, that, to me, that was like you could have, it was like a million bucks to me in that moment because it was the timing of it. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying today? God is so good, so good. And so, so it may seem like a small thing, but when you have nothing and you exercise your faith and then you get what you asked for, that's a big deal, right? So back to Elijah's story. We're, we're getting close to the ending here. But this widow had a need for herself and her son, and, uh, but she gave to sustain the ministry, if you will, and to sustain the life of this prophet. And it was then that God multiplied it back to her. And imagine what it was like for her as she got back to the house and she, she dug into the jar of flour for that last little scoop and as she pulled it out, she looked and there was more that filled in, right? And she grabbed that jug and, you know, she wouldn't have had, they wouldn't have had glass jugs in those days, but she realized from the weight of it and maybe could look into her jar of, of oil, maybe it had a handle on it, but she'd pour out enough to make this, these cakes or whatever she was going to make out of this. And as she pours it out and gets enough, she tips it back and just, it didn't change. She, maybe she looked inside and like, Whoa, what a moment, <laughs> you know, how fantastic is this? As it filled back up, as the bread, every time she, and think, for, until the famine is over, and this could have been really years, we don't know for sure, every time she scooped in for flour, it replaced. Every time she poured out oil, it replaced. Time after time, day after day. I bet for fun she just said, hey, <laughs> it's, I feel like a midnight snack. Yep. It still works, <laughs> you know. How exciting. But here's the thing to, to grasp. She not only gave out of her need, but she gave first. And God always wants our first. He always wants first. In the Old Testament, it was called the first fruit offerings. The first, you know, you, you've waited for the crop, the harvest to come in, and you think, oh, man, I'm so hungry for some corn on the cob or whatever they had in there. You know, they didn't have that. But anyway, uh, whatever it was they were growing, and God says, just put me first. And you're like, oh, man, I really wanted to eat some of that. You bring your offering, and then God multiplied it and multiplied it and multiplied it, putting God first. We give, so today we give, when we give in the, this is the first day of the week. Sunday is the first day of the week. So when we come together, we bring our first fruits to the Lord, and we give to Him. And we get to live out the other six days in anticipation of, what is, how is God going to bless me this week? Because I put Him first. And to our rational minds, honestly, this doesn't, none of this makes sense. But, uh, but, but since when has faith made sense? Right? Faith is that, and this is what I'm trying to get us to grasp about miracles. It's outside ordinary. It's outside of what would normally make sense. Because if it made sense, it wouldn't be faith. So as the worship team comes back up, let me just remind you of what I did earlier when we received communion. Abraham and Isaac go up to the top of that mountain. And on the way up, the first time the word provide is used in the Bible, he said, because uh, Isaac asked, well, where's the, where's the lamb for the offering? He says, God will provide a lamb for the offering. And then, when the event is over, and he, he's ready to slay his son, and God says, Abraham, Abraham, don't do it. And then God says, I got this. And then he provides a ram in the thicket. They bring the ram over, slay the lamb. And afterwards, he named that place the Lord provides or the Lord will provide in the in the Hebrew we don't know exactly how they pronounced words uh, it would be Jehovah Jireh or maybe Yahweh Yira okay because we don't know exactly so sometimes you hear Yahweh and Jehovah you think what's the difference same thing just a different way of pronouncing the same Hebrew word from the Old Testament but let's go with Jehovah Jireh for a minute how many have heard of that term before Jehovah 
comes from when Moses spoke to God and God, he said, who are you that I should tell has sent me? He says, I am that I am. It's that I am statement that eventually became what we know as the word Jehovah today. The eternal, eternally existent God. The one who was and is and is to come. That's what it's talking about. He's apart from everything else. He exists completely independent of anything. He always has existed and he always will exist. Is making a covenant with not only Abraham but with all of us to provide. That's when you stick those, when you compound those names together. Jehovah, the I am, is covenanting with you to provide for you. Jehovah Jireh. But here's an interesting thing. The word provide in, uh, in the word Jireh really, it, it's, its initial meaning and its primary meaning is to see. It's the word you would say, in, in fact, when it says in, in the beginning God created and he saw that it was good. It's used very early in the Bible. The same word, Jireh, is used there. He saw that it was good. And here's what I want you to get. Here's what I want you to hear today. If you're struggling in your finances in some way, you're struggling in some area where you need provision in your life, you need something from God. Number one, Jehovah Jireh, our God who sees, He sees where you are right now. He sees, listen, He sees what you need. Here's even, even more important. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but He sees what's going to happen tomorrow. Right? Do you ever worry about tomorrow a little bit? Didn't Jesus say, don't worry about tomorrow? Why did he say that? Because he already sees tomorrow. He's already, he, he set things up ahead of time so he could take care of tomorrow for you and me, even though we can't see it. He says, hey, I know you can't see it, but don't worry about it because I got it because I can see it. And because he sees, he can provide things, not only that we think we need or want, but he can provide things we didn't even know we needed. Right? He can, he can set himself up. Ephesians 3.20, up on the screen, the last verse I want to share you're familiar with it, but it's, I love the immensity of God's promise here. Now to him or her who is able to do, come on, say it with me, immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. I don't know about you, but i got a great imagination. And I can ask for some great things, and I am asking God for some great things. And he's able to do immeasurably more than that. According to his power that is at work, uh-oh, there is a, there's a caveat, isn't there? Remember I told you before about miracles? That it's this partnership between God and us. Well, we're saying, God, you're able to do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine. And then we want to stop. And we want to say, okay, where is it? And he's saying, eh, it's according to the power that's at work in you. Oh. So you've got to get on the controls of that backhoe, so to speak, right? Remember this? And, and you've got to have a part to play in this. You've got to exercise your faith. Because I've got all the power to give you and what you need. I've got all the power to take care of things for you. But unless you're involved in the process, unless that power is working through you, it's not happening. And then he continues by saying to him, Hallelujah, this is a great thing. Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Would you put an amen on that as well? And there are times in our lives when we all have to rely on God for provision. Hey, he's a generous God, trust me. But even so, we have to make sure that we're trusting Him and putting Him first in all things. Trust Him and put Him first if we want to see those blessings. Let's stand together. There's no doubt there's some here today who are desperately in need of a 
miracle of provision. As we sing this song again that we sang earlier, I'm going to ask uh, leaders that are here and available to come and just be ready to pray on the front. Go ahead right now, leaders, come up and be ready. And if you just want someone to agree with you for prayer, uh, for provision in your life, it doesn't have to be monetary, but maybe there's a, a thing you need or a, whatever it is. It could be all kinds of things that God needs to provide. But I want to I want to just trust God today, and the power of agreement is powerful, that you can pray with each other and agree together in Jesus' name. So let's go to God right now. Let's close our eyes. Lord, you see your people today. You see where we're at. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who, who uh, among my, all of us, Lord, including myself, just show us areas where we need to just trust you more. Even when you call us to things that seem like, well, how am I going to eat at a brook out in the middle of nowhere where there's no food? God, we just want to trust you when you call us. We want to listen to your word and do what it says. And Lord, in, in addition to that, help each one of us in every part of our lives, not just our money, but to always put you first, to always say, you come first in everything I'm doing, God. Help us not to be self-focused, self-interested, Lord God. And even, Lord, as, as crazy as it seems, because we always want to do our best for our kids, but the best thing we can do for our kids is still put you first. Oh, God, help us to be that way. Help us to trust in you, to put you first in every single way. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.